Well, hey there. Welcome to Chase Oaks, wherever you're joining us from right now. I'm so glad we get to be together this weekend as we finish up our series called Closer, as we talk about the power of the New Testament one and other passages. And if you have missed any of the last four weeks, I highly recommend that you go back and check those out on our website because it has been an encouraging and challenging series in an area that I think we all want to succeed in. You know, I think that it is safe to say That what we've been talking about over the last month in this series are things that none of us really need to be sort of talked into wanting. Because we've been talking about how to have deep and meaningful uh, relationships and and how to um, sort of know and be known and how to support and be supported and how to be the type of people that we want to be, how to be like how to develop the type of community that we all want to be in. Like we all want these things, but that kind of begs the question If this is something that we all already want. Then like, what's the problem? Right. So so what's keeping us like, why is it so hard to achieve that? And that's really what this series has all been about, because there are a lot of obstacles in our way. You know, it could be that our tech has been an obstacle to, to develop closeness. And that's one of the things that Katie talked about last week. Or maybe uh, an obstacle is that our, our hesitancy to be authentic, our true selves with other people. And Katie also talked about that. Or maybe just the, the, the kind of pace and style of our life has gotten us out of the habit of hospitality, which is one of the biggest tools we have at our disposal to draw us close to one another. Or maybe in our closest relationships, we're still seeking to be served rather than to serve. And so we've talked about all of these obstacles. Or perhaps, perhaps after a year and a half of social distancing, we've just sort of lost contact with people. And that certainly happened in the church sphere. You know, studies have said that among those in America who were, you know, actively involved in in their church pre-COVID, during COVID, over 30% are now completely disengaged. Like they're not watching online, they're not in a group, they're, they're just completely disengaged, which is sad because they're disengaged from community and all of those things. And if that is true, you know, in churches, it's certainly true. It's certainly, I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be true in other spheres as well. And so before we, we jump into sort of the topic of the day, I want to, I want to do something. You know, we, you know, we've been looking at one another passages in the New Testament, and there are a lot of those. Uh, there's dozens and dozens. Love one another, care for one another, encourage one another. You know, there, there's a whole bunch. There's dozens. And it's clear that that's not an exhaustive list. It's just kind of a descriptive list of the type of people that we are called to be. So in light of some kind of so many people sort of drifting away and, you know, like all of that kind of stuff, I want to add one. You know, I want to add a, a one another that's not in the New Testament that I still feel I feel pretty safe in doing this because it's in keeping with the personality that I think is presented to us. And it is this. Don't forget about one another. Nobody wants to feel forgotten. And a lot of people have just kind of drifted. And so before we jump in to what we're going to talk about and in light of this one another, don't forget about one another in light of the song we just heard, you know, and by the way, you're welcome. You're going to be humming. Don't you forget about me all week. And if you're of my generation, you just wanted to go, you know, and some of you have no idea what that is, um, but that's, that's okay. But in light of that, I want to do something. I want you to grab your phone. Like, like for real, like grab your phone, wherever you are right now, if you're not driving, like, please, like grab your phone, pull your phone out. I want you to open it up and I want you to look at your contact list. Open up your contact list. And those who are here at the broadcast, like I can see you. So let's play along, like, you know, like pretend. 
open up your contact list and I want you to scroll, scroll through and just find a name of someone you have not connected with in at least six months. And if you're anything like me, that is most of the people on my contact list. Find a name of someone that you have not connected with in six months, and I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and I want you to text them. And it doesn't have to be creepy, like, please don't be creepy. It's just, hey, haven't seen you in a long time. I hope you're doing well. Would love to reconnect. Just something like that. However you, however you want to word it, however it sounds right to you, I want you to send them a quick text. If you're online, wherever you are, if you have access to your phone, do this. You've, you've got 20 seconds left, so hurry up. Send a quick text. I'm going to do it too. Nobody likes to feel forgotten. And the people you just texted, I mean, they might be doing great. But it certainly doesn't hurt. It, it's, it's always nice to be remembered. Okay. As we finish up the series, I want to talk about one last obstacle that I think a whole lot of us face. And if we can overcome this obstacle, I think it's going to go a long way toward us being the type of people that we want to be, for us helping for us creating the type of community that we want to be a part of. And this obstacle comes out of what I think are some of the most challenging one another passages in the New Testament. Listen to these. Accept one another, Paul says in Romans 15. Be gentle and patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults. Be kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Bear with one another and forgive anyone who offends you. As difficult as those one another's are, I think one of the most challenging aspects of those one another's is putting up with the relationships that require those one another's to be put into practice. The reason we're told those one another's is because it is assumed that we're going to be in relationship with people who are hard to accept. Or we're going to be in relationship with people who are going to challenge our ability to respond in gentleness or in kindness because they just rub us the wrong way. We're going to be in relationship with people who are going to require forgiveness or with people who offend us. And I think more often than not, for an awful lot of us, like if it's not family that we're like stuck with, it is just easier to drift away from those kind of relationships. When I am around people who are just really, really different from me, have a different perspective, have a different background, it can be exhausting to sort of maintain a relationship. And over time, it's just easier to bail. Or when I'm in a relationship with people that it's just a challenge for me to respond in gentleness because they just rub me the wrong way, it is just easier to, to just sort of drift away than to have that hard conversation. It doesn't take too many times of being offended where you just say enough of that, you know. And so I think a lot of us, instead of kind of having that hard conversation, instead of talking things through, it's just easier to drift away. And eventually when we do that, we end up with a social circle that's smaller and is much more comfortable, right? But that then creates the problem for an awful lot of us or the obstacle, for an awful lot of us. And this is the obstacle I want to talk about, is that, for, is that over time, we have allowed our social circles to become too small or too uniform. 
So I want to give us a challenge this weekend, everybody, including myself, and that is this. That we expand our social circles beyond our family and our friends, our natural friends and our colleagues and the neighbors that we happen to like. You know, we expand our social circles beyond that to include people from these three categories that we're going to talk about today. The different, the disagreeable and the outsider. The different just means people who are different from us. The disagreeable is people who disagree with us. And the outsider is the, 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 the person who feels like they're on the outside looking in, kind of the socially sort of marginalized. And I want to talk about all three of these and why they're important. First, those who are different from us. There's a lot of ways that we are different from one another. So this is super broad. Uh, but one area that I think is super, super important, especially where we are culturally, one area that's super important for us, or one thing that's super important for us to have, are friends or people who call us their friend who look different than us or who come from a different cultural background than us. You know, we've talked about that several times uh, here at Chase Oaks over the last few years, and we will continue to talk about it because I don't know if there's anything that is more important or more strategic or more helpful where we are culturally, if we're going to move forward towards unity and all of those things, than developing personal friendships with people who are very, very different than us. Now, I say that um, also recognizing, however, that some of the racial divisions that are within our country, they are deep and they are complicated. And I don't want to minimize that by saying that personal friendships are just going to make all of that go away or going to solve all of those issues. However, I do believe that we are not going to move forward in unity without friendships at least being part of the process. So it's not a it's not the only step, but it is a necessary step. You know, here at Chase Oaks, we have a thing called Unity Table that happens on the fifth um, uh, months that have five weekends. That fifth weekend is Unity Table weekend. And we just sort of set it aside as an opportunity to have a meal with someone or with a couple or with a family that look different than us. So it's leveraging the power of hospitality, which we talked in week three in this series, for the purpose of expanding our social circles to include people that are very Different than us. And I'll tell you just like a little bit of a secret. We have no idea how many people are actually doing that. You know, like we're not keeping track. We're not setting up those meals. We're not arranging it. You know, it's up to each one of us to to make those invites and to, you know, and to to arrange it and and to to do it. The, The reason we talk about it on those fifth weekends is just as a as a reminder mechanism that we all need it. You know, we need a steady diet of that. We need it. We need it culturally if we're going to move forward as a culture and towards unity and overcome some of our division. But we also just need it personally, like individually. Every one of us, whether we realize it or not, what we process and the way that we think and the information we take in, you know, it's all it all goes through a set of lenses that is unique to each one of us. So for me, I have a set of lenses as a as someone who's kind of middle-class, middle-aged, American white male who's a husband and a father and a pastor. It's like all of those are lenses, and I actually don't know how those lenses affect how I process and think about the world. I mean, I I can't diagnose that. You know, it's like the air that I breathe. 
So it is very possible that something could be just clear as day to me, and I could nevertheless be a little bit off simply because of my lenses or the perspective that I have, which means I need friends in my life who are seeing things from a slightly different perspective, who have a slightly different set of lenses. So that means for me, like I need to hear from women. Or I need to hear from people that have a very different cultural background or have very different life experiences. And I'm not, and when I say that, please hear me, like I'm not saying that I, that I think all like truth is relative and everybody's making their own truth. It's like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there's no, no people group and no culture and no individual that has a corner on truth. We all have our blind spots, right? I have my blind spots. I am wrong about a whole lot of things. <laughs> I just don't know which things. And so I need, you know, other you know, lenses and other people in my life and friends who I can trust. Because if we're going to triangulate on the truth, then we're going to need to compare notes, right? We need each other. But developing real, genuine friendships, like not just being friendly, but, but, but developing real, genuine friendships with people that are very different from us, it's just harder, it's harder than having a deep friendship with someone who has the exact same lenses as we do, the exact same background, you know, all of those kind of things. Because when you have a friendship with someone who's different than you, you, like, you run the risk of offending one another, you run the risk of hurting each other's feelings, assuming the wrong things, there's hard conversations, like all of those things. It's harder, but it's worth it. And as hard as it is, as hard as that is to develop, you know, friendships with people that are really different from us, I think the next category is even more difficult, and that is maintaining relationships with people who we disagree with. I think one of the most exhausting and discouraging things over the last few years is it seems like we've just lost our ability to overcome our disagreements. And it is discouraging to see what political disagreements have done to families and to churches and to our community. And I know that it's like that's always been a thing, but it just sort of seems like over the last few years that it's, that it's even worse. And it actually makes me even more appreciative of when I, when I look at the Gospels and see what Jesus did with his disciples and particularly how he chose his disciples. Think about this. As a rabbi, Jesus could choose whomever he wanted to be part of the group, to be his disciple. Those were personal invitations. And so there were 12 men who were officially his disciples. There was also a group of women that tended to be part of the group that sort of traveled around with him. And we're going to talk about them here in just, in just a minute. And in that group would have over time, like each, each of those individuals, that group would have become their closest community as they traveled together, as they ate together, as they you know, went through hardships together, as they encouraged one another, as they lived life together, and as they did that over you know, three, as they did that over three years, and they became each person's closest circle. And as we look at the hand-picked group, that Jesus created, you know, as, as the seed of a community that was going to take over the world, consider who he chose. Now, there are some of the disciples that we don't know much about, but we know a little bit about some of them. We know that Peter, Andrew, James, and John were fishermen, which in that culture, that would have been, you know, they were just kind of day laborer types. 
We know that Matthew was a tax collector. So he was Jewish who collected taxes for the taxes for the Romans, for Rome. And the way that system worked is that uh, for tax collectors, they could determine how much their salary or how much their income was going to be based upon how much they could extort from their own people above and beyond what the tax burden actually was. And the Jews knew that about tax gatherers. And so so they were considered traitors. There was also uh, Simon the Zealot, who was a political activist, who was part of a movement that was dedicated to throwing off Roman rule and Roman oppression anywhere and however possible. There was also, as I mentioned, a group of women. If we read this in, in Luke 8, it says, Soon afterward, Jesus began a tour of the nearby towns and villages, preaching and announcing the good news about the kingdom of God. He took his 12 disciples with him, along with some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Among them were Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons, Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's business manager, Susanna, and many others who were contributing from their own resources to support Jesus and his disciples. This is fascinating to me. So it seems like, you know, similarly to uh, the businesswoman Lydia, in Philippi, who was instrumental in launching the church of Philippi and who helped finance Paul and his missionary journeys in the book of Acts, it seems like there were also some women of means who were bankrolling Jesus and his disciples and their sort of itinerant you know, ministry. This is a pretty diverse group. It sounds like the beginning of a joke. Like... <laughs> A rabbi, a tax collector, a zealot, and a rich woman go into a bar, you know, and it's like, okay, what's the punchline going to be? It's like, this is, this is going to be interesting. What do you think they talked about over dinner? I mean, there would have been women of means along with kind of day laborer types, the fishermen. There was Joanna, the, the wife of Herod's business manager, and there was Matthew, who was a tax collector, and there was also Simon the zealot. Jesus picked representatives of the most antagonistic groups in their culture. And depending upon where you are, it's possible that you think of, you can imagine in your mind, people or maybe groups of people that you think are a little too extreme in their point of view or what they do. And that's certainly the way many of the disciples would have viewed Simon. There might be people, there might be individuals or groups that you think are selling out our country and are actually doing more harm than good. Certainly a lot of Jews and some of the disciples would have thought about, thought that about Joanna and Matthew, certainly. Or maybe there's groups that just their lifestyle is just so different from you. It's not that they're bad. It's just like they, they just have a very, very different life. It's so hard to understand them. I imagine that some of the women may have felt that about the fishermen. Or maybe there's groups that you feel like are a little too entitled or maybe have more money than they deserve. I mean, I say all of that to say I think we can assume that the the disciples understood what it meant to disagree. When Jesus invited each person to follow him, one of the conditions to be a disciple was that you guys are going to have to follow me as a group. And Jesus knew they disagreed on stuff. 
And he knew those disagreements were over legitimate things. But if they couldn't work through their disagreements so as to be able to have meals together, to be able to travel together, to be able to support one another, to be able to do life together, then they couldn't be part of the group. They couldn't be a disciple. Think about that. If they couldn't follow Jesus arm in arm with people they disagreed with, then they couldn't follow Jesus at all. And certainly that is in keeping with the theology of what Jesus came to do to break down barriers between people and people groups and to create just one group. But it's also instructive into the type of community that really sort of changes the world. He was building the, the ideal type of community. Obviously, there would have been friction, and we need it. In Proverbs, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, that there is a necessary element of friction that we all need to knock the rough edges off, to change us, to sort of mature us, to sharpen us, to help us grow up a little bit. And that requires, though, like if, but if, if the friction causes the relationship to dissolve, then the sharpening never is completed. So that, that then requires that we all have an assumption that the relationship is more important than my point of view. The person is more important than my perspective. Which means that some of us are going to have to be willing to forgive when we're offended. It means that others of us might need to tone it down just a little bit. And make sure we're communicating that the person is more important than our perspective. Right? It is easy to accuse other people of cancel culture while not admitting my own, you know, sort of belligerent condescension toward anyone who disagrees with me, which communicates that my point of view is more important than the person. I think there's, there's work to be done on all sides. You know, as I thought about the action step that could be helpful for all of us to sort of move forward and sort of be able to link arms with people who, who we disagree with, you know, honestly, as contentious as the last few years have been, the first thing that popped into my head is that some of us might need to reach out to certain individuals and just apologize. Some of us got a little carried away. And I, you know, everyone just seemed locked and loaded, you know, and ready for battle. And some of us did battle, you know, and this left a wake of like hurt feelings and damaged relationships, you know, behind us. And others of us just sort of ghosted people, you know, it's like, I want, I don't need that kind of negativity. And we just sort of shut people off. And so, and like either way, it's just like, that's just not the right, not the right way to, uh, to treat people. And I, you know, as a pastor, I can tell you that I certainly felt, you know, pressure on, on all sides and we're a part of a diverse church and it's hard to be sort of neutral all the time, but I can, but as I look back, as I was, as I was going through this and as I look back over the last couple of years, I do see instances and relationships. Like I, I just see the, the way I responded to certain things that just, they weren't good. They weren't good. And so my to-do list from this message is I, as I was going through this and preparing, there are certain names coming into my mind of people that I need to reach out to and I need to apologize to. 
Because regardless of my point of view, Jesus teaches me that people matter more. So that's my action step. So I want you to know that it's like I'm not just saying you all do things. Like I have my own to-do list. Like I have one too. But maintaining relationship with people who we disagree with, I mean, it's just harder, right? requires patience, requires forgiveness. It requires that we sort of temper our language and we don't just sort of bowl over people and say, we'll deal with it, you know, or whatever. And we can kind of, you know, work with people like all of that kind of stuff. And it's just easier to just sort of drift away or it's like all of that kind of stuff. And it's just harder, but it's worth it. And so we've talked about the importance of developing friendships with people that are different than us and maintaining relationship even through, you know, disagreements because the sharpening, that, that's where sort of the sharpening happens. But there's one other group that I want to talk about, and that's the outsider. And when I say outsider, I mean people who feel like they're on the margins of society, you know, the culturally shunned, you know, people who feel like they're just sort of on the outside looking in. In Jesus's day... The, the, the people who made the rules were the religious leaders. So the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and they could use religious language to sort of justify, you know, why certain people really deserved to be excluded. And so one of those was like the word sinner, like theologically, we're all sinners, but they would use that term like for, for a special sort of category, which was actually a fairly broad category of people that they just didn't like. And it could be people that, you know, had lifestyles they didn't approve of or had a history they didn't approve of or like all of those types of things. And then they would group in tax collector with it. It's usually listed together, tax collectors and sinners. And tax collector, like that was those people's job. And that was a legal job, but they didn't like that job. So they were, you know, you know, lumped together with sinners. And there was even a, a conversation, a question that was brought to Jesus about a blind person. And the question was, was it the blind person's sin or was it their parents' sin that caused the blindness? Because certainly sin's part of this, you know, like, so anyone, like, so even the disabled, anyone that was sort of on the outside looking in, sin was a part of like, and they were justified in shunning those people. And those were the people that Jesus went after. Those are the people he spent special time with. He developed friendships with. Those are the people he gravitated toward to the point that he was called the friend of sinners. Like people in those groups called Jesus friend. Which as a Jesus follower makes me ask the question, who would those people be today? Who would those groups be? Who would the people, who are the people who feel marginalized, who feel shunned, who feel like they're on the outside Looking in, you feel like they're overlooked and forgotten. I mean, it's not hard to come up with a list of, you know, or just assume that there's people who sort of feel that way. It could be the poor. It could be folks who have jobs that are not socially acceptable. It could be the immigrant or the refugee or people who don't speak English or maybe certain communities of color or people in the LGBTQ community or the disabled. It's like it's not hard to come up with a list. And this is convicting for me. Because people who were marginalized and sort of shunned in Jesus' community called Jesus their friend. I am a Jesus follower, so I have to ask myself, how many people who were marginalized and shunned in my community call me their friend? 
how many marginalized outsiders call you their friend? For some of us, this might just be an issue of kind of opening our eyes and be really mindful of people in our workplaces or in our neighborhoods or in our classroom or or wherever that everyone else just sort of ignores and overlooks for whatever reason. Those people know that that's happening. And they feel like they're on the outside looking in. And they're in sort of within our reach. You know, as Jesus followers, they're kind of our responsibility a little bit. But for some of us, just in all honesty, for some of us, I think this is a scheduling problem. It's a calendar problem. Because for most of us, we kind of build our lives around our jobs and our families. And if we have kids, our kids' activities and our social lives are sort of built around you know, some of our church friends or some of our other friends. You know, and it's like, and our, our calendar sort of, are sort of full in such a way that the natural course and natural flow of our lives does not let us rub shoulders, to be quite honest, with people who are on the margins of society, right? I mean, if we're not volunteering somewhere or if we're not part of a club or part of an organization, there's a good chance that we don't even know anybody who are in that category. But then we're confronted, if we're Jesus followers, that those are the people that Jesus had a special heart for. So here's the challenge, if you choose to accept it. Sort of like Mission Impossible. Here's your mission, if you choose to accept it. Here's the challenge, if we, I should say we, if we choose to accept it. If we come to the conclusion that the natural sort of course and flow of our lives does not bring us into contact with the people that Jesus has a special heart for, then we might want to consider changing the natural flow and course of our lives. And volunteer somewhere, you know, and put it on your calendar. Every Thursday night, I'm over here, you know, or, or join a club or an organization or something that sort of works into, so that it puts us into a very different social circles so that we can develop very different types of friendships. You know, in all of these In all of these categories, people who are different from us, people who disagree with us, people who feel a bit outside of proper society, um, developing friendships in those circles is just harder. It might require more time, more effort, more energy. It might require a thicker skin. Um, It might make us sort of emotionally drained. It might make us uncomfortable to have our views and assumptions challenged, like all of those things. And that is why those one another commands are important. Because for us to maintain relationships there, we're going to have to accept one another. And we're going to have to be gentle and patient. And we're going to have to forgive one another. But we tend to... uh, we tend to go in the absolute opposite direction, right? If it's not family, you know, if we want to protect ourselves from people we disagree with, from people who are different, from people who are going to require too much energy because it's just harder. And it is, but it's worth it. Throughout this series, I have been, there's a, there's a proverb that keeps floating around in my head throughout this whole series. And it's a super obscure proverb. It's Proverbs 14.4. And it says, where no oxen are, the barn is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of the ox. Which is like this, sounds like some crazy, like, passphrase from a spy movie, you know. The wet dog sighs by the warm fire, you know, or something, you know, something crazy. What this proverb is saying 
is that if you were a farmer back in that day, you could choose whether or not you were going to own an ox. You know, it was your decision. But if you were going to own an ox, then you had to, like, deal with the ox, right? And the problem with owning an ox is that they eat a lot of grass and they eat a lot of grain and it all comes out the other end and it's a mess and it stinks. And you've got to clean up after them over and over and over again. And it's got to be... And, they're, they're, and they reek, and, and it's got to be just so sort of discouraging and frustrating to day after day after day after day, you're just shoveling ox stuff. And it's got to be so tempting to just say, you know, I'm done. I don't want to deal anymore with ox stuff. You know, I, I want a clean barn. I want an orderly barn. I want a predictably clean barn. I want to be able to clean my barn and then know what to expect when I come in so that I can enjoy my clean barn. And as a farmer, you might be tempted to get rid of the ox, which is fine. It's your decision. I mean, you value clean, orderly barns, and that's great. You make a decision according to your values. Perfect. Until it's time to plant. And you're out there in the middle of a field, you know, with a hoe, doing it by yourself or until it's time to harvest and you're like grabbing, you know, as much grain as you can hold and you're legging it back by yourself. What this, what this proverb is saying is that you can either have nice orderly clean barns or you can have a storehouse full of grain, but you can't have both. You can't have both. And I think the one and others, as we've been talking about is like the perfect illustration of, of that parable. And it, know, in action, because everything we've been talking about is super messy. Certainly, you know, broadening our social circles, you know, in the way that we've been talking about, that's really, really messy. But what's the alternative? I mean, sure. I mean, we could shelter ourselves from awkward conversations and from people who are too different from us or people who might challenge us or people who might rub us the wrong way. It's like, you know, like we can shelter ourselves from that or we can have a life that's full and rich of diverse relationships that sharpen us and help us grow and mature. But we can't have both. We can't have both. You know, throughout this talk, I have been... Um, I've given us a few suggestions of things we might each could do, you know, and in all honesty, the suggestions that I've given are just the things on my personal to-do list. You might have other things that you could, like we're all responsible on our, by ourselves, you know, to figure this out. But if you're like me, you know, I want to, I like that we have a, a regular reminder of unity table, you know, because I want to use hospitality to, uh, to help broaden my relationships and, and have meals with other people. And if you want to join me in that, you know, the next unity table is at the end of August, the last weekend in August. So you you have one month, you know, and, and by the way, if that weekend is not the great weekend for you, like do some other time, like there's nothing special about that weekend. It's just a reminder for us to do it because we need it. We need it. Or if you're like me, maybe as we were talking about, just kind of maintaining relationships with people who disagree with, maybe you also have a few names in your head. And you don't want to have that conversation. You dread it. But you kind of feel like you might need to have a hard conversation because you did. Like, and you might not ever be great friends with these people or with that person, but you don't want it to end that way, you know? Do it. Do it. Because people matter more. Or maybe, you know, you think, yeah, you know, the natural course and flow of my life is not bringing me into contact with people that Jesus has a special heart for. Well, dream a little. Brainstorm. You know, think about ways that you could place yourself in different 
social circles. And you know, and if we do this, like as we've talked about in this whole series, if we do this, if we lean into the one another's, everybody wins. Our community wins, our friends win, our neighbors win, we win. And so I want to be real clear, like, as I was talking, like, this is not charity and reaching out to the least of these. As as important as that is, that's not what I've been talking about. I'm talking about friendship. I'm talking about expanding our friendship circles with people that are not typically our friends. Because when we don't do that, and when our circle gets too small, we become smaller versions of ourselves. And we stunt our own growth. And God wants something more for us. And he wants something more for us. So let's pray. And let's, let's ask God to help us to live into the full and deep and rich and diverse life that he wants for us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we know that the one and others that you have given to us in the New Testament, those are for us because you love us. And you want us to experience all that life has to offer. And we confess to you that so often because of our fear or because of our busyness or because of all kinds of things, Father, our, our, our circle gets too small, our world gets too small, our life gets too small. It gets safe and it gets small. And Father, you want something so much more. So I pray that you'll give us courage to reach out, courage to have good conversations, courage to build new friendships. And I pray that you will bless them, bless them, bless them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.